0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Let us continue our worship with our first
1: scripture reading from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert, which is located between Elam and Sinai. They set out on the 15th day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day in this way. I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they collected on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the Lord's glorious presence because your complaints against the Lord have been heard. Who are we? Why blame us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning because the Lord heard the complaints you made against him. Who are we? Your complaints aren't against us, but against the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 17. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we are continuing on with our sermon series, Exodus, Discovering Our Promised Land. The reason why we're looking at the book of Exodus is because it speaks beautifully to our present circumstances. The stories in the book of Exodus, they help us understand how we're connected as individuals, as a church, and as a community at large. And so the goal of this series is for us to explore the new and bold direction that we need to be taking as Christians, if we are going to discover our promised land and remain relevant in the 21st century. So today is Stewardship Sunday, everybody's favorite Sunday. And on Stewardship Sunday, what I usually do is I talk about the ways that you all have supported the church and how that support has impacted people both inside and outside of these walls. And normally, I will tell you that I don't immediately begin talking about money in these sermons. I try to almost slowly and imperceptibly kind of sneak it in there. So you're like, oh, he's talking about money right now. But today, I'm going to go for the jugular. I'm going to talk about money right away because I have to say that you all have been absolutely remarkable through this pandemic. We have not been able to have regular indoor worship in our sanctuary or our chapel since March. And you all have supported this community all the way through. We are essentially even in our budget with our giving of last year, which has blown me away. And the reason I'm so blown away by it is because there are many churches that are not doing nearly as well. There's a lot of churches that are struggling right now. And I assumed that we would see a sharp decline as well because the truth is, church is really about community, is it not? It's a communal experience. And so if you can't be together with the community, I was wondering, Are you all going to continue to financially support the community? And the answer to that has been a resounding yes. You all have done that. And in fact, you all have gone above and beyond even what you need to do to support us right here. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. For now, I want to take some time and jump in to our scripture reading today from Exodus. I'm going to back up briefly and just talk about what we discussed last week. Last week was the final confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses takes the Hebrew people, leads them across the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh, he comes and he follows them with the Egyptian army. They come into the sea right behind him. Once all of the Hebrew people, once they're on land, that's when God closes the sea in on top of them and kills them off. Now. In doing that, in getting rid of them, they now do not have to worry about their oppressor. Their oppressor is gone. They are essentially free from their oppressors. But they now find themselves in a completely different kind of situation and they're dealing with a much different kind of obstacle, which is the wilderness. So what is the wilderness? The wilderness is a place where no human beings inhabit it. So basically there's no people out in the wilderness. And in the Bible, when a person goes into a wilderness, it carries a connotation of both being dangerous and having potential. So both of these things go at the same time. Now, the wilderness is a dangerous place because when you go out into the wilderness, you can very easily get lost. There's not a whole lot of resources for you on which to rely. You can very easily run out of food. And if you stay too long, the results can be disastrous. You can die from exposure. So the Egyptians who have left Egypt, they were able to carry out with them some meager resources. Those meager resources are running out very quickly in the wilderness. And many of them begin to wonder, have we made a mistake? Did we do the wrong thing by following Moses out? Yes, we are now free from our slavery, but if we die from starvation, wouldn't it have been better if we just stayed back in Egypt? And this is where God comes in and helps Moses out by providing food for the people. As you heard TC and I talk about, so God provides them with bread in the morning and meat in the evening. So every morning they would wake up and they would find this fine flaked substance covering the ground like dew. Basically, I think of it as like God took shredded wheat and just scattered it everywhere, right? For them to pick up. And then on the, in the evenings, quail would land on the ground and then they could capture, kill, and cook that is me. This combined with 12 different springs that were around them gave them water. This is how they sustained themselves while they were in the wilderness. And that's basically the story, right? Now, there is something in this story that we often overlook. It's a little detail that we can easily kind of glide past. And I think it's really important for what we're discussing today, which is that when God gives them this food, God is very specific. Take only what you need don't take any more than that. So if if you, as a Hebrew person, end up taking more food, storing it up for yourself, say, you know what, I'll save a little bit for tomorrow. What would happen is God would cause that food to go rotten. Now, the idea behind this is that God wants the Hebrew people to be totally and completely dependent on God day to day. No planning for the future. No saying, okay, I'm just going to a little bit aside for myself god wants them to wake up every single morning and have the thought i have the faith that god is going to take care of me today now i'm going to go out on a limb and assume that this is the exact opposite of how most of us in this congregation operate so most of us here are planners i would say that that's probably true of the people in this room right you plan I would also say that most of us, we don't want to leave anything to chance. How many of you have actually woken up, you online, in the morning and thought to yourself, you know what, I have no idea how I'm going to eat today. I hope God throws something my way, right? No, I would say that most of us, when we're thinking about the idea of, you know, not having food, if we got into that situation, we wouldn't see that as an act of faith. We would see that as an act of not planning well enough for our lives. So there is this constant tension in place in the Bible between really having faith in God and then planning for the future. So the way God would have it is that we would be like the Hebrew people, right? Every day we would wake up and we would just depend on God day to day. But the rest of us, which is pretty much most human beings, we get up day to day and we're storing up resources for ourselves. We're planning for the future, are we not? So we're getting ready, and Jesus, he talks about this a lot in the New Testament. Like, he's talking about it all over the place. So he tells us that we need to be careful that we shouldn't store up too much wealth for ourselves, too much treasure, because that can be problematic for us. He tells us, and he's very specific on this particular point, he says, look, you cannot you cannot worship God and wealth. You cannot worship God and wealth. Now, most of us we hear that as Christians, and we're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 I got you, got it, I got you, Jesus." No, we can't. We cannot worship God and wealth. Those two things. Like, we just set it aside. But I don't think we really understand what he means by that, because this is a really important point for Jesus. So, for Jesus, when he says you cannot worship God and wealth, for like this is so interesting to me, because for Jesus, he believes that being dedicated to God, and accumulating wealth, these two things are diametrically opposed to one another. Like, in his mind, you can't have both of those things. And I've always wondered, well, can't I just, you know, earn money, save for retirement, and love God all at the same time? Like, can't can't I go down that road? And Jesus and this, what we read today in Exodus, are kind of telling us, well, yes and no. Because that desire to be self-sufficient, that desire to make sure that we have enough for the future, that is a very slippery slope. So, on the one hand, it is understandable that we would want to store up treasures for ourselves, store up resources, make sure that we have enough. Our minds as human beings evolved over hundreds of thousands of years, and they evolved from a place of scarcity. There was never a guarantee for our ancestors that there would be enough food for them to eat. And so what evolution did was it put a little question in the back of their minds, and that question was, will I have enough to survive? Which is why humans have a tendency to take more resources than they actually need, because we're thinking to ourselves, well, what if tomorrow I can't find food? At least today, I'll have enough to live off of. Now, the problem with this is that when you start going down this road, for us as human beings, no matter how many resources we accumulate, it's never enough. You can always save more, right? You can always be more prepared, right? Because what if life throws me a curveball? What if there's a catastrophe? I don't know, like a global pandemic, and I end up losing my job, and I'm not going to have enough money to live off of. This is very understandable that people would feel this way. But when this insatiable desire for resources drives our behavior, it can have some really negative consequences on who we are as people. And to help you understand what I mean by this, I'm gonna tell you about a really interesting study done by a psychologist named Paul Piff. So Paul Piff, he wanted to try to understand what does the accumulation of wealth do to people in terms of changing and impacting their personalities, our personalities, how does it change us? And so he came up with this really interesting experiment. He would sit two people down at a table in a room with a game of Monopoly. And this game of Monopoly, the way it was set up is that normally when you play right, everybody starts with the same amount of money. So in this game, people started with different amounts of money, so one person would have more, one person would have less. And the way you determine the advantage and the disadvantage is that you were to flip a coin. Whoever gets the coin toss gets the advantage and the disadvantage. I want you to watch and see what happened.
2: So, We ran a study on the UC Berkeley campus to look at exactly that question. We brought in more than 100 pairs of strangers into the lab, and with the flip of a coin, randomly assigned one of the two to be a rich player in a rigged game. They got two times as much money. When they passed Go, they collected twice the salary, and they got to roll both dice instead of one, so they got to move around the board a lot more. and over the course of 15 minutes we watched through hidden cameras what happened and what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw you're gonna to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because again these were hidden cameras so we've provided subtitles.
0: How many 500's did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave
1: me so much.
2: Okay so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up one person clearly has a lot more money than the other person, and yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. We mm. were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power. In celebration among the rich players. All right, we had a bowl of pretzels positioned off to the side. It's on the bottom right corner there. That, la- that allowed us to watch participants' consumatory behavior. So we're just tracking how many pretzels participants eat. Are those
1: pretzels a trick? I
2: don't know. <laughs> okay, so no surprises. People are on to us. They wonder what that bowl of pretzels is doing there in the first place. One even asks, like you just saw, is that bowl of pretzels there as a trick and yet despite that the power of the situation seems to inevitably dominate and those rich players start to eat more pretzels, I'm I love pretzels. and as the game went on one of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder toward the other person. Less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players, and more and more demonstrative of their material success. More likely to showcase how well they're doing. I have some
1: money. I have money
2: for everything. You owe me $24. before. your money <laughs> I don't buy it. I mean, I have so much money. I have so much money, it takes me forever. I
1: am going to buy out this whole board. You're going to run out of money, soon. Yeah, I'm pretty much untouchable at this point.
2: <laughs> okay. And here's what I think was really, really interesting. Is that at the end of the 15 minutes, we asked the players to talk about their experience during the game. And when the rich players talked about why they'd inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly, they talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game. And they became far less attuned to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly gotten them into that privileged position in the first place. And that's a really, really incredible insight into how the mind makes sense of advantage. Now this game of monopoly can be used as a metaphor for understanding society and its hierarchical structure, wherein some people have a lot of wealth and a lot of status, and a lot of people don't. They have a lot less wealth, and a lot less status, and a lot less access to valued resources. And what my colleagues and I for the last seven years have been doing is studying the effects of these kinds of hierarchies. What we've been finding across dozens of studies and thousands of participants across this country, is that as a person's levels of wealth increase, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down. And their feelings of entitlement, of deservingness, and their ideology of self-interest increases. In surveys, we found that it's actually wealthier individuals who are more likely to moralize greed being good, and that the pursuit of self-interest is favorable and moral.
0: Okay. Now, what I find to be so fascinating about this study is that what Paul Pith has shown is exactly why Jesus is so against the accumulation of wealth. So, did you find it interesting in the game, this rig game, by the way, of how The player with the advantage began to act. So remember, and we have to just put this into perspective, the game only lasted for 15 minutes and your advantage was determined by the flip of a coin. And yet, the player with the advantage, he started, or she started, to act more rudely. They would act in a way that was boastful. And then, on top of that, what I thought was so interesting was how they would justify their ability to win the game based on decisions that they had made. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because, A, we're talking about a game that doesn't even have any real money in it. It's just a game. And yet, within that 15-minute period, we saw, as Paul Piff said, the level of compassion and sympathy decrease, and entitlement and self-interest increase. That was in 15 minutes in a made-up game. So when we turn to the Gospel, and we start looking at Jesus, and He tells us in the New Testament very clearly that your goal as a Christian, your job as a Christian, is to be selfless, to put the needs of others before your own needs, to take your resources, and to use them for the benefit of those who are suffering and struggling this helps us to understand why the accumulation of wealth can stand in the way of our ability to serve God. So what Jesus understood 2,000 years ago is what Paul Piff proved in his study today, which is that money has the ability to stand in the way of our ability to live out the gospel message. Now by saying this, I want to just clarify something. I'm not just saying that if you have money, that automatically makes you a bad person. And vice versa, I'm also not saying that if you don't have any money, that automatically makes you a good person. What I am saying is that when you invest in the Gospel message, it gets rid of the, that internal struggle that we have of wondering, do I have enough? Will I have enough for tomorrow? By having the Gospel in mind, it suppresses that. And what it does, which I really love about the Gospel, is that it is truly designed to get rid of, to undo that pyramid of wealth inequality that Paul Piff was talking about, where you have most of the population of the world on the bottom and they can't afford to get by, and then you have a small minority of people atop who have way more resources than they would ever possibly need. And so what the gospel does, if you really internalize it, is that it gets rid of that voice in the back of our mind that asks the question, will I have enough? And what it does is it allows us to let go much more easily of the resources we do have for the benefit of others. And so when you see your resources as literally manna from heaven, that a gift that God has given to you, it's much easier for us to let go. And I really want to focus on this point for a moment. Because in the Bible, what it tells us is that we need to view everything we have as a gift from God. So, This is so different from the way we look at it. Those of you who are at home, you're sitting there in your house. I want you to look around at the things that you have. Look at what you have. Normally, what do you think to yourself? I own this. This is mine, right? But the way that God talks about everything that we have in the Bible is that it is something that God has given into our possession for a period of time. Truthfully, God has given it to us so that we can use it for the benefit of other people. And when you think of the things you own and your money in that way, then those things that God has given you can be made new because you can use those resources to improve the lives of other, others rather than improving your own life. And what it does is it actually really changes that pyramid that we talked about, the way that people don't have enough to get by on. And if we all did that, it would even out. This is the message, and this idea is at the core of the gospel, and it's at the core of how we in this church think about and talk about financial giving. So as I talked about earlier, time and time again, you all in this community have stepped up. You have given to our church. You have made sure that we have the resources we need to get by. And that is particularly true in the past. And it was true now when we really needed it, you were there. And as I said earlier, you went above and beyond. I want to go into that for a moment. So when all of this began, the pandemic, we decided to set up at our church what's known as a community relief fund. So Congress let go of stimulus money into the economy to make sure that people could get by. And what we said was that if you get this stimulus check and you do not need it, if you have the money that you need to get by, would you consider donating a portion or all of it to the community relief fund? And this would allow us as the pastors to have the opportunity, if somebody came to us, to be able to provide for their rent, we could help pay bills like utilities and medical bills, we could help pay for their food, we could help pay for loans that they were behind on, all of these things. Now, 76 people gave a total of $54,680 to the Community Relief Fund. So far, we have given away $35,000 of that, we've helped 24 families to pay for all of these things. Now, I want you to know something, because this is really important for you to hear. A number of these families who we helped, had we not given them this money, would be out on the street. They were going to be evicted from their homes. So what you enabled us to do is literally to save people from spiraling into that cycle of homelessness. And we're not talking just maybe one or families with, you know, a couple of people. We're talking about families. Some of them had eight, ten people living in an apartment. And that's how many people would have been out on the street. And so I just want you to know that what you gave to that It has really changed people's lives in tangible ways. Now, speaking of homelessness, I also want to talk about our PADS ministry. So PADS is our homeless ministry, for those of you who are not familiar with it. And when the pandemic began, the homeless are, of course, some of the most vulnerable out in our world. And Journeys, which is the organization that oversees all of this, they decided that what they were going to do is they were going to put all of their clients up in hotel accommodations. And what we did was we started providing food for them. So people would come, they prepare the food, they box it, and then we take it to them at the hotel. So many of you participated in this, have contributed to it, and I want to thank you for that because you have made a difference in their lives. We've also had to kind of redo the way we think about church. So we've had to redo our ministry programs, children's ministry, so over the summer, we couldn't run VBS, which is a really big program that we do. We had to do a home version of VBS. Uh, Katie with Mission Factory, she had a stripped-down version of that that she brought here. TC, he did home versions of his mission trips with middle school and high school youth. We in adult ed, we've had to rethink how we do things. You've seen us sending out the veils across the stars. That's a three-camera setup that I was using to edit that. That took resources for us to have, so You've given to us and we've been able to do really remarkable things. We've been able to join forces with other churches to be able to work with them to provide these opportunities that we wouldn't normally be able to provide. And I never thought I would say this, but I thank God for the internet because as awful as it can be, if it wasn't for that, we would not be able to remain connected to each other. So we can live stream these services to you. We can get on Zoom calls for meetings, which I know everybody hates meetings, but it's great that we can still do those things as a church. And it's helped us stay connected to you. We are able to be there with you through times of joy and sorrow. So when you have deaths in your family, we are still able to do funerals. We are still able to cry alongside you, weep alongside you. When you have amazing things happen, weddings, births, we are able to rejoice with you still. And When you all are struggling, so many people have come to us for counsel because mental health is a really big problem right now. So many people are struggling mentally, and so we've been able to either deal with you personally or refer you out to someone because we want to walk alongside you through this journey and help you navigate those relationships in your life. Because you have given to the church in the way that you have, because you have supported the church, you have literally been manna from heaven for so many people, Many of whom you may never meet, but some of whom who you know, but the fact is you have been there for them. And since we are really in these unprecedented times, we've never been in a situation like this. When it comes to stewardship, when it comes to giving, what I'm saying for this year is I'm hoping that you can give what you gave last year. If you can do that, that's going to be a real big win for all of us. Now, I will say that if you give a little bit more, even if it's a few hundred dollars, that will make a difference because there will be some people in our congregation who will not have the capacity to be able to fulfill their commitment. Likely what will happen, this is going to go on. Some people are going to lose their jobs. People might be cut to half time. We know that those circumstances are going to come into play so that if you can give a little bit more right now, that will hopefully even us out for people who may be in really difficult situations later on. Now some of you have been joining our congregation over time, you've been online, you came to our parking lot worship services, maybe you came in January, February, March, and you never really got integrated into the church and you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, Alex, I'd like to give something to the church to help you out, what can I give? And I'm so glad you asked that question. So what you can give, if a good starting point that I like people to begin with is $35 a week. So if you can give $35 a week as an individual, that comes out to $1,820 for the year, or $3,640 for a couple. So it's different. The $1,820 for an individual is what we aim for, $3,640 for a couple. And I know that some of you are probably sitting there, you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. If you've never really given to a church community before, that may seem very high. And so I can see how some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, it's very easy for you to stand up there and to say that, Alex. Is that something that you do? And I say this every year, and I know it's always something that people kind of laugh at, but the fact is, is that I would never ask you to do something that I am not doing myself. So when I ask you to do this, I actually give a lot more than that back to the church because I really believe so strongly in what it is that we do here, and I hope that you do. Too. And if $35 is too much money, if you can't get to that mark, that's okay. Give what you can. Work towards it because the fact is, we want you all to be that manna from heaven for the people right here in Arlington Heights. So next week is what we call Commitment Sunday. Now Commitment Sunday, normally, under normal circumstances, you would have received a commitment card in the mail, and you would then fill out the bottom here, and then you would turn it in during worship. Now, as TC said, we may actually be having parking lot worship next week, If we do, you can do that then. However, if you can't, and we don't end up having it, you can feel free to mail it in to us. You can bring it to the church and hand it off. You can also go online. So if you go to the top of our website, you'll see a little link that says giving, and you scroll down to the bottom. You can literally fill in the card right there on the page. So my hope and my prayer for you is that you would take the time to prayerfully consider what it is that you're gonna to give to our community in the coming year. The fact that you all have supported us in a big way, and I cannot thank you enough for that. What you have done has made such a huge difference for us in our ability to not only keep this community afloat, but also to help people in the world who need it. And so my hope and my prayer is that you will continue to be able to give in such a way that you can truly make a difference in the world and you can be that manna for those who are struggling and suffering and for those who are really need healing in our broken world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.